All right. Well, we've been looking at, uh, for the last few weeks, what it means to live for Jesus, not just say we live for Jesus and not just know about Jesus. And, and we said it's not just in the knowledge, but it's in the application, right? And so we've been kind of on this journey, and last week we looked at, uh, we said, don't be lukewarm. Don't live a lukewarm life. Jesus didn't die so we could live mediocre existences, so we could just kind of, you know, bah humbug our way through life. He died that we might have life and have it to the full, have it abundantly, have it in a flourishing way. And so last week we looked at what the Bible has to say about our lives as followers of Jesus, and we learned we're called to put on the new self. And we said that everything we do does something to us. And so now I want to look closer this morning at the impetus for this new behavior. And that word impetus, if you look up the definition, it's a driving force. It's the impulse. It's the incentive. It's the stimulus. And I really like that definition. It's the reason why we do something. And we know when it says the force, we know that in us as Christians, that force is the Holy Spirit. I read something the other day that I think will help us more clearly understand the role of good works in our lives because we said that on one side there's legalism and on the other side extreme there's license so you know one group says well you know in order to please God in order for God to accept you you need to live a certain way and the other group says well God's grace covers it all it doesn't even matter how you live and as in most things the truth is right in the middle and so this this statement and I read this I think this will help us religion says God will love us if we change The gospel says God's love changes us. You see the difference? Religion says God will love us if we change. If we do this, that God will love us or he'll accept us. But the gospel says it's his love that changes us from the inside out. And so this morning we're going to just dig a little bit deeper in the short time we have. And we're going to look at how it is that we can live this life that God calls us to live. So let me just pray for the sermon and then we'll get into it. Father, we thank you. We are grateful, God, not just at this time, at this time of Thanksgiving, but always for who you are, for what you've done, for what you continue to do in and through each of us. And so, Father, as we say week after week, as scary as it may be sometimes, have your way in our lives, have your way in this place. Help us to truly understand that everything we need can be found in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So kind of a quick recap from last week. Again, everything we do does something to us. And so he said that the Bible says in Colossians 3, put on the new self. And we said if you've been raised with Christ, that you're called to seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And not only do you seek that after those things, but you set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Set your mind. Keep your focus, you know, have your compass calibrated to that true north, to Christ and who he is and who he wants, what he wants for us. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And then in verse 15, it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. And we said last week that gratitude changes your attitude. And so if we ever get into the place where we start to complain 
where we start to compare ourselves to everybody else. And if you notice, you know, you, ne- you never typically compare yourselves to somebody in worse shape and say, oh, I'm grateful I'm not like that. You compare yourself to somebody better off and you say, oh, I wish I had that, right? It's always wanting what we don't have. And, and until we're at peace with who Christ is in us, we're never going to be content with what we have. As Pastor Jamie said, you know, and the quote goes, you know, until Jesus is all, until Jesus is all you have, you don't realize that Jesus is all you need. And sometimes he'll strip everything away, and we're grateful sometimes that he does that to leave our focus just on him. And so it's important that we understand this stuff. And then in verse 16, Paul gets into the how, and we're going to see this in in all the scriptures we're reading this morning. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And that word dwell means to live. It doesn't mean just to visit. It means let it dwell in you. Let it live in you. Let it permeate your heart. Let it, you know, everything you do does something to you. Every habit you have, every behavior, every custom, every tradition, everything you do does something to you. More than just what you know, we know that that changes you. You know, what what you listen to, what you watch, that has an impact. But we're creatures of habit. You hear that expression? Because the, the, the things we do, the little routines we go through, those form us. They have a, a, a deeper uh, formation in who we are than we understand. It's not just in what we know. It's what we live out. And so we said again, and we're going to keep repeating this, that the process of discipleship looks like this. First, we turn our, turn our focus upward to the Lord and to His Word. That's the initial focus. That's the place we have to begin. And then we're changed inward by His power, not by our efforts. And then we're motivated to live it out outward. So we said upward, inward, and outward. And we can only do this as a result of our connection to God through Christ. We know it's the Spirit of God working in us, and it's our cooperation with that process that provides this sanctification. And listen, part of that is in the practice. It's about what we know, but it's not just about what we know. We've been on this theme for weeks now. It's about Ultimately, it's about what we do and who we love. We're, we're creatures that were created not just as thinking beings, but as loving beings. It's what we worship that defines us more than anything. And we said, you know, a few weeks ago that everybody worships. There's nobody alive that doesn't worship. The only thing we get to choose is what to worship. And so remember we said Aristotle last week, and Darren thought it was kind of funny. He said, you know, in the sermon you called Aristotle naive, right? And I was like, well, he was, right? I mean, he understood the, the depth of these things, but he didn't understand the source of them. And so what he said was this. What makes a man virtuous is that he practices virtue. Not that he teaches about it, and not that he knows about it. So the Christian life becomes real to us as we live it out. It is in the daily living. It is in the trenches. A.W. Tozer, right? The devil is a better theologian than any of us and is a devil still. So knowledge is important, but knowledge is important as we apply it. And sometimes I think we think we have to have all the knowledge, every, every question answered, and everything figured out before we can begin to walk in it. But that's not discipleship. Discipleship is one step in front of the other. And asking God for the grace and the light to take the next step. And sometimes the faith when there's no light to take that next step. And we see as we walk that out. How do we learn that God is faithful? Because somebody tells us God is faithful? No, I mean that has, you know, an impact. But we learn God's faithful by seeing his faithfulness in our lives. As we step out again and again and again. And I understand fear, and I understand reservation, I understand those things, but I also understand what it looks like when you step out in a little bit of faith, 
And you see God meet you in that place and do so much more than you ever, ever could have done had you not taken that step and said, you know, God's not looking for people, that, you know, the talented and the brilliant. God's looking for people that say, here I am, God, use me. That's what he does. That's why he picked Jamie and I, a bunch of knuckleheads. Because nobody's going to go, oh, Jamie and Brian, they're doing all kinds of stuff. Go, Those guys, are, the other guys can't do anything. A bunch of, it's amazing they got through high school. Right? To God be all the glory. We're trophies of his mercy and grace. The Christian life becomes real to us as we live it out. It's in the daily. It's in the trenches. It's in the practice that Jesus comes alongside us. Now, I understand, and so does God, that with all of our good intentions, we seem to always default to the wrong thing, right? I mean, this is universal. Even people who reject sin are faced with the profound reality that something in their life is not quite right. They are. I mean, it's, it's unavoidable. We're all created in the image of God. You can reject sin and you can reject God, but you can't escape that you're created in His image with the desire to know Him. That's the reason you were created. And if you have any object in it, it doesn't do what it was created to do. Something's wrong. There's a malfunction. And so even people that reject the notion of sin and reject the notion of God, they understand deeply. And we said it's rooted in Genesis. It's rooted in sin. The first thing is we felt shame. And there are people that are living their lives and they know something's wrong. They maybe don't have the language and so they try to fill it with all these things. Maybe it'll be money. Maybe it'll be, you know, accolades. Maybe it'll be a reputation. Maybe it'll be a relationship. And no matter how much, it's never enough. And they still feel that void and they still feel that emptiness. It's because it was meant for one thing alone, for Christ to rule our hearts. But this is why Paul writes in Romans 7 when people are like, you know, I want to do the right thing, but, you know, I just have trouble doing it. I'm like, that's perfect. Because Paul was, like, if there was like a super Christian, we'd probably say that was Paul, right? Wrote half the New Testament. I think think Paul was probably a pretty good example, right? This is what Paul says. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want. But I do the very thing I hate. Anybody else could have written that? I mean, that's pretty honest. I love when people think, oh, the Bible is filled out kind of holier than thou. Have you read it? Because that's, I mean, like that's what I would write. Now if I do what I want, I agree that the law is good. In other words, he knows that what is right, he's not arguing against what is right and righteous. He knows that deep in his inner being. And yet there's something else in him that's, that's fighting against that. That's the default. And so he says, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Religion is, is saying eventually you'll get the ability to carry it out. Anybody work for you? Right? No, it just leads to frustration. Like Paul says to the Galatians, you foolish Galatians, what begun in the spirit, what began as a a spiritual exchange, are you now trying to live that out on your own? What began as an act of God, are you now trying to live out apart from him? Because we've said again, it's not only by grace we're saved, it's also by grace we're sanctified. It's also by his grace and mercy that we walk one step in front of the other. Sometimes just standing there saying, Lord, I don't feel like taking the next step. And, you know, maybe barely trudging along. For I do not do what I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Again, this is honest stuff. This is a guy who's battling with the flesh. And and I think people just don't read it to the end. They just stop there and go, yeah, I can identify with that. Nobody's perfect. And then they walk away. 
But Paul says this, 21, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is right, evil lies close at hand. Now this is again, same thing. We're going to see this again and again and again. We just said before, dwell in the word of God, right? For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Paul has, has, has placed in his heart the scriptures, the law. He understands deeply, not just information, but he understands deeply in his heart that that's truth, that there's life there, right? But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And some of us get to that place and we just, we stay in the wretchedness. Wretched man that I am and we stop. But Paul doesn't stop there. Paul continues. Verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind. But in my flesh I serve the law of sin. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And in Romans 8 he continues. Life in the spirit. Verse 8, uh, uh, chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. I like when the Bible t- is, is black and white. I like it when it's life or death, when it's clear. Because what the enemy convinces us is that we can walk with one foot in both worlds and not be split apart. And it's my experience that that will provide tension. You'll continue to be restless. You'll continue to seek after him. Because if Jesus isn't on the throne of your heart, something else is. It's not that you don't have a throne. It's just that it's just a matter of what's placed there. And again, gratitude is the source of all of this. Gratitude is the source of all of this. Everything we do. Everything we practice, every behavior, every ritual, everything we hear and see, it changes us. It has an effect, and most of the time, we don't see it. And this is the inescapable truth. Paul says, verse 3, chapter 8, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for our sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. I could take a week to just preach on that. In us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Again, for, the, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. We have choices to make. And you know, people say a day at a time, it's a decision at a time. It's five seconds at a time. My father used to say, every decision you make, every little decision you make is either bringing you closer to God or further away. So be conscious, be aware. Again, we said, you have to be proactive in your life. If you wake up and you just live a reactive life, you just react to stimuli and you're not thoughtful and you're not proactive, what do you think is going to happen? Your emotions are going to go up and down, your anger, and you're not going to have a life of, of peace. Because the peace that the Bible talks about isn't conditional peace. Everybody's, you know, when they're sitting on a beach and they're, everybody's at peace then, right? But can you be at peace in the midst of the storm? Can you be at peace when somebody that you love is sick? Can you be at peace in the midst of great loss? Because Jesus promises that. The most beautiful of all scriptures is come to me all you who are weary and I will give you rest for your souls. 
I don't know about you, but I get weary. We all say we die for Christ, but we must be willing to live for him first. I mean, ask yourselves that question. Do we really want to live for Jesus? Or do we just say it? Because we need to be honest with ourselves. And I think if we even have a slight understanding of what was done on that cross, of what Paul just talked about, that his wretched condition, that every time he tries, he keeps doing the wrong thing, but that Jesus paid that price so that we're seen as righteous before God. But the great news is you don't have to wait to get to heaven to start living for God. We can do that now. We're in a sense called to bring the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And if Christians don't do that, nobody else is going to do it. The world's not going to bring the kingdom of heaven here on earth. We need to live this out. If we slightly understand what was done in that cross, that should instill in each of us such a profound sense of worship. Such a profound sense of awe of who God is that we are both undone by our own sin and amazed by our great Savior. I'm going to say that again. If we slightly understand, if we get a glimpse of what was done on that cross, that should instill in each of us such a profound sense of worship that we are both undone by our own sin and amazed by our great Savior. And that gratitude, that gratitude cannot help but produce a life. It cannot help but propel us into this journey of living by faith because man will always let you down, but God can always be trusted. And this life, it's not for the faint of heart. It's often scary, but it's utterly incomparable. Most of the time, it looks nothing like you think it will. Nothing like some preachers tell you it'll look like. Nothing like being concerned with the applause of the crowd. See, it's more important to love people enough to challenge them out of their comfort zone, to challenge them out of their complacency. It's not loving to tell people the lie they want to hear over the truth that they don't. That's not loving. It's not loving if I tell you a lie that you want to hear because it's more comfortable for me. That's the opposite of love. I know that that seems to be what the culture says, but that's not love. Love is when I tell you the truth gracefully and with kindness and in a way that you know that I love you. But when there were crowds following Jesus, he said stuff that made the crowd shrink over and over again. Why? Think because he didn't love everybody? No, because he understood. He understood that there would be people like Judas, and he didn't treat Judas any differently. And he understood that when he had the bread and the fish, that there were people that they had just for the bread and the fish, but he didn't treat them any differently. We get a love like Jesus loved. John 8, 31 through 32, and I heard, you know, it, it, this morning I heard them sing the lyrics, and I didn't know. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, they were believers. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, we've heard that again and again and again. If you live in the word of God, if that dwells in you richly, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Not you will know a lie, and it will make you feel comfortable. Jesus wants followers. I read this by Ian Nicholson from St. Petersburg, Russia, and he said this, Come follow me, and I will show you where to go. It is not to the platform and the spotlit speaker. It is not to the conference, the meeting, or the camp. 
Come with me to the darkest places. Come to the hurting, the howling, hollow faces. Come with me to the addicted, convicted, and caught. Come with your light, run with your salt. Come to the sorrow, the suicide tree. Come to the stable, come and follow me. You see, that's the gospel. That's what it looks like. Jesus ministered to the marginalized and to the broken. Do we want to be Saul or do we want to be David? Are we building with our own lives a tower to Babel or are we building like Abraham altars to God? Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Now, I want to go through this quickly for the sake of time, but there's a progression there. Walk, stand, sit. You see, slowly we take less action against sin. First, we're, we're walking with the wicked. That means at any point we can walk a different way. But then slowly, after time, we don't understand. And now we're standing. Now we're less active. Now we're more complacent. Now we're more comfortable. And eventually we will sit in the company of mockers. You see what happens without even realizing it, without even knowing we're formed by our habits. And it says this, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, nourished and refreshed and living and growing and reproducing those are the things. We want the streams of water. We want the nourishment. And Scripture tells us in three or four Scriptures that I read, it's found in the law. It's found in the Word of God. It's found in, in the relationship with Him. The Word is living and active. It's not just information. It has the power to transform lives and eternities. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season. It can't help but yield fruit. You don't have to do anything to yield the fruit other than to, you know, to focus on the Word of God and to remove the, the things that, that cause the, the death, to you know, clear the soil, remove the sin. But God causes the growth. And whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, for, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. That is always the case. That will never not be the case. That God watches over the righteous, but the way of the wicked, the, the decisions of the wicked, the decisions that are against God will lead to destruction. And the good news is that Paul cl closes Romans 8 and he says this, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now you may be saved, and you may be going to heaven, but don't wait to get to heaven to live for Jesus. Because we, as the body of Christ, are called to be salt and light right now. To again bring the kingdom of heaven here on earth. 
God did not rescue you, and He did not call you, and He did not set you apart for nothing. Will you cooperate, or will you work against Him? Because trust me, you're not going to win, and it's really painful. I spent 15 years after I said, I trust you, Jesus, saying, I don't really trust you, Jesus. I just, I just said that. I want to trust you. It sounds like a good idea. It's like when I was a little kid, I remember for my confirmation, they were like, do you reject Satan and all of his works? I'm like, yeah. I mean, it seems like you should do that, right? I didn't even know what that meant. It just sounded like a good idea. It's not just in what you know. It's how you live. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19 and 20. I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, and by holding fast to him. I love that expression. For this is your life and the length of your days that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them. Choose life in order that you may live by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, and by holding fast to him. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It is not simply saying we are grateful that makes it true. It is not just telling everyone else that we're grateful that makes it true. It's not perfectly understanding the definition of gratitude that makes it true. It's about living it out. And gratitude to God is manifest in our love for others. In Acts 4 verse 13, I'll close with this. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. More than anything, when people see us, I want them to say, those people at South Coast Church, they've been with Jesus. I want people to be astonished and say that we have been with Jesus, not only this week, but each and every day. If anyone should live gratefully, it's us. Amen.